I want to ask you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. As you're opening there, I just want to remind you that following the service this morning, we are having a fellowship luncheon as part of our Emergency Responder Appreciation Day. So for those that were recognized this morning, make sure that uh, you find them today and just express your appreciation to them for their service during our lunch today and, and uh, stick around, enjoy some fellowship and food with us. It'll be a good time. So we've been exploring in 1 Peter chapter 3 over the last several weeks, uh, Peter's encouragement to the church concerning the confidence of faith. That has served as a title for the series of messages coming from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, and I had really intended to cover this in, in about two sermons, and it's here we are on week number three, so um, God had other plans, obviously, but uh, it's been a blessing to me. Um, Lord has just so encouraged me through this text, and I trust he's been encouraging others in the congregation as well as we have been challenged and strengthened in our walk with Christ as, as we face the difficulties of life. You know, no matter how many victories we encounter uh, with the Lord's help, each new challenge in life brings back familiar doubts and discouragements. I know, uh, you know, it just seems like we can, we can just finish experiencing a great victory in some area of life and then some other difficulty arises and all of a sudden those same doubts and discouragements that we just got over just come flooding back in. And we need to be reminded continuously of the hope that we're given in Christ and our relationship with Christ. And that's what, that's what Peter's doing in this text that we've been looking at for the last couple weeks. He's, he's speaking to a church that is under the persecution of the Roman government, and he's, and he's telling them, listen, have strength. Your faith is sufficient. Be encouraged. Endure. Don't give up. Don't give in to fear. But trust in Christ. And, and it's, just, it's just amazing to me. You know, we, we take something like that, and, and while Peter was writing to a people that are so far removed from us in history, and their circumstances were really quite different than what we're dealing with today in, in our life, although we're starting to see an increase in persecution among Christians in our own nation, but we're not anywhere near where the people were that Peter was dealing with. And yet, the Word of God is still so applicable to us. You know, there's people that say, you know what, that, that book's so old and it's just, it just can't possibly apply to, to my life today. It just can't be relevant to what I'm dealing with today. It was just written so long ago. And to anybody who would say that, I would say, have you read it? And if they've read it and come to that conclusion, I'd say, okay, you weren't paying attention. God's word is timeless. Its applications just, they just are not limited. God's word is unchanging and powerful, even as God himself is. And in the pages of scripture, we find the reasons for our troubles the various aspects of the human condition as it speaks of, of how we in, in, interact with life, and then it provides us with a remedy and hope for our difficult situations. And this, this passage in 1 Peter 
again, as it was written to people that were facing such different circumstances, yet so applicable toward us. I mean, if this was instruction that was given for people facing life and death situations, certainly it speaks to us in the difficulties and challenges that we face on a daily basis. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning as we read God's holy word. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Father, as we come to your word, I ask that your spirit would teach us the truths that you would have for us to learn. I pray that you would speak through me, Lord, as you've taught me this week, help me to deliver this message, Father, in a, in a way that will edify your body, that will encourage believers and that will convict sinners. Father, use this word to glorify your name. And it's in that name, the mighty name of Jesus, that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So just... By means of review, I want to cover just a few things that, are, that we've gone over the last couple weeks and just remind you that verse 13 really sets the context for what Peter's talking about here. He had, he had just previously been talking about the purpose of inheriting a blessing from God that is our coming before the Lord in the end times in which God will say unto us who have that are faithful, well done, and good and faithful servant. That is the blessing that we are to inherit. Now, that's a very specific blessing because back, if you go all the way back to verse number 9, he says, you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. That is, that you might be spoken well of by God. But I believe it also carries with it, because if you look at the rest of the passage, it carries with it the idea that, that God's blessing follows those who are obedient to him. And, and we see that even repeated as we get into, into verse number 14 as it says that we are blessed. That is, God's favor is resting upon us. But in this whole of the context, he asks us in verse 13, he says, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Now, that is a rhetorical question in sense because we typically don't think of suffering for doing good, right? I mean, when you do good things, you receive not suffering, but usually you receive accreditation, right? I mean, people think well of you when you do what's right. You do good things, you get raises at work. You do good things, you get pats on the back. You do good things, people appreciate you. And so Peter says to the people, he says, if, you're, if you prove zealous for what is good, then what do you have to fear, right? Basically, if God's on your side, what do you have to fear? Because if we're doing what's good, not just, 
And as Christians, we're not doing what's just good in the sight of people. We're doing what's good in the sight of God. And so this is Peter's question to those believers. If, if you prove zealous, that is, if your actions are demonstrate the reality of your faith, then what do you have to fear? You know, essentially nothing. Does that mean that you're only going to experience good things, that only good things are going to happen to you? No, obviously. I mean, Scripture continually tells us that suffering is part of life. Suffering is part of God's plan. Suffering is something that you're going to endure, that you're going to encounter. And, and uh, you know, there's preachers out there that will tell you, you know, if you just have enough faith that God doesn't want you to suffer and all that stuff, it doesn't line up with what Scripture says, though. Scripture tells us that it has been granted to us not only to believe, but also to suffer for the sake of Christ. Here, Peter tells us that in verse number 14, he says, even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. So he says, when suffering comes, listen, God's favor rests on you. And so you should be encouraged by that reality that we have God's favor resting on us. And then and so he's, he's encouraging us to remain faithful even when suffering comes into our life. Do, and then he tells us in, verse, in the latter part of verse 14, he says, do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. That is, he says, listen, trouble's going to come. Understand that as a child of God, God's favor rests on you. You are blessed in that. So don't give in to fear. Don't be afraid. Because God's favor rests on you. And then coming up to verse 15, he tells us that, that faith, it not only speaks to us of, this, of God's favor towards us, not only tells us how to respond to fear, but it also tells us to be ready to demonstrate our faithfulness. In verse 15, he says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. And so... This, is, this has to do with us demonstrating our faith, beginning by putting Christ first. And this is, was our focus last week, focusing our attention on Christ, his character, his word, his purposes, his will, so that when people ask for the reason that we have hope in suffering, when they ask for the reason that we have joy in suffering, that we are able to articulate to them what we believe and why we believe it. That is, that, that is how we give testimony. Now, just the fact that we have joy and hope and courage in the face of difficulty is a testimony, but it's a testimony that will cause people to inquire, where is that coming from? And we're to be ready to be able to speak to them and explain to them what we believe and why we believe it. This is the, I think this is the reason why God gives us of his Holy Spirit. God gives us the Holy Spirit in order that we might be reminded of the truths of Scripture so that we can share them with others, right? I mean, isn't that what Jesus said in John 14, 26? He says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So the Spirit teaches and reminds us of the things that Christ has spoken and the things that he has spoken to us through his word. But if you don't know what you believe, and you don't know why you believe what you believe, then you don't really have a whole lot to share with anybody. Because if you can't articulate your faith, what is it that you have to offer somebody who asks? Well, most likely nobody's going to be asking because you're not going to have that joy. You're not going to have that perseverance. You're not going to have that hope 
because you don't have anything to draw on from your, for your own trials because you don't understand your own confession. And so we must be diligent in looking to Christ, putting him first, focusing on him in order that we might learn of him through God's word and that we might be able to share our hope in him with others. And yet we are to do it in a way that we protect the reputation of Christ and our own reputation as believers. That's why at the end of verse 15, he says that you're to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. That is, in a compassionate way. With being compassionate towards people and reverent towards God. We're not to be we're not to be self-righteous. We're not to, to, to be overbearing with people. We must sanctify Christ in our hearts. And we must share him with others when they ask, doing it in such a way that protects our reputation, that God would be honored. You know, there is no greater threat to the spread of the Christian faith than Christians themselves. We do the most to harm the reputation of Christianity. It's, it's not people attacking from the outside that hurt, that hurt Christianity. It's Christians themselves that don't live out the faith that hurt the reputation of Christ. If you name the name of Christ and live like the world, you present a picture of the faith that has nothing to offer hurting and broken people. If people look at you and they don't see something different from the world around them, why would they ask you anything about your faith? Because they're, they're, you, you don't have anything to offer them. But, on the other hand, you have those Christians, they're so radically different from the world, yet they're so harsh and condemning of those whom they have the power to help, but no one wants to ask them because of their attitudes and the condemnation and shame that they sense when they're around them. So there's a balance in here. That we're to demonstrate our faith in a way that shows compassion towards people and reverence towards God. And that's where we got to last week. So we're going to pick up this morning in verse number 16 as we continue this idea of protecting our witness in verse 16. as Peter says, and keep a good conscience. More literally, it's keeping or having a good conscience so that in the things in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. It is imperative that as Christians that we follow our conscience. The conscience as it is guided by the Spirit and the truth of God's Word. Now we have to understand, the conscience is that part of ourselves. It's, it's part of humanity that reminds us that we're created in God's image because we have this innate sense of right and wrong. Now, understand this too. The conscience has been marred by sin, so it's not perfect, but it is made new in Christ, and it is being renewed by his word. But let's listen to what Romans 2, 14 and 15 says. It says, For when the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. See, our conscience guides us in determining right and wrong. But however, as Dr. John MacArthur points out, he says the conscience is not infallible. 
It is neither the voice of God, nor is it his moral law. Another commentator, Colin Cruz, says, It is possible that the conscience may excuse one for that which God will not excuse, and conversely, it, will, it is equally possible that the conscience may condemn a person for that which God allows. The final judgment, therefore, belongs only to God. So what are we to do? Can we trust our conscience or not? Well, I think it all depends on whether you have a right relationship with Christ or not. If we have a right relationship with Christ, as I said, our conscience is being made new as we're being informed by the truth of God's word. And the Bible tells us that we are to obey our conscience. And so as we follow our conscience, as, we're, as we are made new creatures, then we have the capacity and the ability to trust how God is informing our conscience. See, our conscience is informed by our highest sense of what is acceptable and what is good. So if our highest sense of what is acceptable and what is good is God's word, then we're going to be obedient to those things which we learn from God's word. Listen to, this is the idea that we get from Peter here as he tells us that we're to keep a good conscience, but listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.12 concerning the conscience. He says, for our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. The testimony of the conscience. That is what he was clinging to. It is the testimony of conscience present in, present in the believer that helped Martin Luther in leading the Reformation of the 16th century. When he was put on trial for the things he had written about the abuses of the church, he was able to say, unless I am convicted by Scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. As you study the word of God, it informs your conscience so that we have a guide for which to conduct ourselves Always. Now, in particular, we're talking about how we conduct ourselves in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship, but how we conduct ourselves always. Because our conscience is renewed through Christ. It is being reformed in accordance with the truth. It must not be violated. But we must be convinced in our own mind concerning the things we do, understanding that whatever we do, if we are convinced that it's pleasing to the Lord, it is an act of faith. And the Bible tells us that whatever is not from faith is sin. And so we act from faith by obeying our conscience, keeping a clear conscience. And if we keep a clear conscience in the way we defend our faith, that is if we represent ourselves and the truths that we believe in a way that we believe is acceptable to God, in a way that honors people and honors God, then we have fulfilled that responsibility and we have strengthened our faith and understanding that this is how God is working through our difficulty to glorify his name. But there's a, one further encouragement in verse, 16, or in verse 15, 16, rather, that Peter speaks to us, not just about keeping a good conscience, 
But he says, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. So he tells us, don't violate your conscience. Listen, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're struggling with, don't violate your conscience, but obey God, understanding that those who oppose you, those who oppress you, those who are against you, they're going to have to give an account. Now, there's two ways to understand this. There is, there is the, the possibility that, that your good reputation, that the way that you speak to somebody might be such a powerful witness that that person would come to faith. And upon coming to faith, they would be ashamed of the actions which they previously, how they previously treated you. That, I mean, that's how it was with the Apostle Paul, right? I mean, when, when the Apostle Paul was, uh, before he was converted, before he was confronted by Christ, he wasn't the Apostle Paul, right? He was Saul of Tarsus, and he was seeking to destroy God's church. Christ confronted him. He was arrested by grace. He was completely transformed. He understood that what he was doing was an offense against God. He turned his life around, and he began, and he began to to preach the gospel and to be the greatest advocate the church has ever known. So if, if it, a study in Paul is one of those things that if you, if you know anybody or if, you're, if you are somebody that struggles with whether or not God can forgive you for the things that you've done in your life, just look at what Paul did. I mean, if, if, if this guy who sought to destroy the church... He actually arrested Christians, sought their execution, voted for their execution, and yet God was able to forgive him and use him in such a mighty way. There is hope for everyone. There is no sin so great that God's grace isn't greater still. And so it, it could be that Peter's referring to this sense of that our witness and being faithful and protecting our witness could be so powerful that people will come to faith in Christ and that they would ultimately be ashamed for how they were asking, acting in light of what Christ has done in them. But it's also possible that Peter is looking forward to a future judgment. Because the reality is, is if someone doesn't come to faith in Christ because of our witness, they're still going to give an account and they will still one day stand before God and they will be put to shame for their opposition to the people of God and to the Word of God. So either interpretation is possible and both serve as a reminder to us that we are all accountable. And as believers, that we should be focusing on honoring Christ in all of our actions, being ready to demonstrate our faith as we trust in the Lord's will for our lives. For Christ gave himself in our place to die for our offenses against God, to redeem us for his purposes. Let us therefore honor him in our lives, trusting him. As verse 17 says, For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. We've seen up to this point that faith implies God's favor towards us, that we are blessed, it indicates a response towards fear, it imparts to us a readiness for demonstrating faith, and it implies the righteousness of the Father. 
This is the final point of this text, that God's righteousness is being extolled. He says, it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. We are reminded here of God's sovereignty in the midst of our difficulty. It is better if God should will it so. The very fact that God wills it tells us that its outcome and its purpose are that much more desirable because we know that God is righteous in everything that he does. God is righteous. This implies the righteousness of the Father. It tells us that if God wills it, then there is a purpose at work even when we don't understand it. And this should increase the confidence that we have in our faith because it assures us that God is at work even when we can't see it. That should comfort you to understand and know that God has willed a particular set of circumstances rather than your difficulties being the result of something you've done wrong. Because we know that's a reality too, right? When we do things that are offensive to God, when we do things that are wrong, when we sin, when we, when we do, bad stuff happens, right? We endure God's discipline. We, we, there's natural consequences for the things that we do that, that are not good. And that's the last part of the verse. He says, he says, better to do, if God wills it, for you to suffer for doing what's right rather than for doing what's wrong. Suffering for wrong is... I mean, that's going to happen. I mean, it's a given. I mean, you might get away with something for a little while, but eventually it catches up to you. So we could, we could put this verse this way. We say it's better to suffer according to God's plan and purpose rather than for suffering God's discipline and judgment. But that, of course, implies that we are examining ourselves to know our own lives, to know what's going on in our lives in, in light of God's truth. Now, self-examination isn't something that we should do only when we are suffering. When difficulty comes into our life, I think we should examine ourselves and say, God, have I done something? Is, is, have I offended you in some way? Search my heart. Let me know if I've offended you so that I can confess it and repent. But, you know, that shouldn't be something that as believers, that should be something that we're always doing. Not just when difficulty comes, but just as an, as an act of faithfulness to Christ. Say We should constantly be bringing ourselves before him. Lord, search my heart. Help me to know what your will is. If I've offended you, let me know that I can confess it so that my fellowship with you will not be hindered and, and your grace will not be taken and, and I can continue to enjoy your blessings. You see, everything we do as followers of Christ reflects back on him. Because if you name the name of Christ, people are watching you. And whether you do good or whether you do bad, people are watching. Our testimony as his ambassadors is tied directly to our behavior. So our actions and our attitudes ought to come under the scrutiny of the Spirit so that we might live worthy of the gospel of Christ, as it tells us in Philippians 1.27. If you're not harboring and defending unconfessed sin and you aren't in rebellion against God's word, but you're still suffering, you're still going through things, and you can't think, you're like Job, you can't think of anything you've done wrong, and you, and you, just, you know that you've confessed your sin, 
You can also know, unlike Job, you can also know that God is at work for his glory and for his purposes and for your good. God is working through those difficult circumstances. As I was studying this this week, I was just reminded of um, Joseph back in, in Genesis, Jacob's son, Joseph. You know, he was the, he was the spoiled one, right? He was the, the favorite son. The father, the father loved Joseph. I mean, he loved his other sons, but he loved Joseph especially. His brothers were jealous of him. Joseph had a good life. He didn't have to work. His brothers did all the work. His father just doted on him. And then one day, Joseph's brothers decide they're going to kill him. Joseph's brothers decide they're going to throw him into a pit, and then they're going to kill him. And then they change their mind, and they say, well, why don't we make a profit off of him instead? And they sell him into slavery. And, you, you know, Joseph, you know, his brothers may not have cared for him too much before, but Joseph, you know, he really had a pretty decent life. He had it easy, favorite son, had visions of, you know, grandeur that everything was going to be good and he was going to rule over everybody, you know, God giving him those visions. And then here he is, he's sold into slavery and what does he do? He honors God with his life. He, God prospers him under the hand of his master. He comes to be in control of everything in his master's house. The Bible says, because the Lord was with him. And then what happens? He's thrown in prison. His master's wife is making advances towards him. Joseph does what's right again. He, he refuses her advances. He, he tries to flee from her. She brings accusations against him, and Joseph is wrongly imprisoned. And you've got to think, I mean, if you're Joseph at this point, you're going, God, what did I do? What's, what's going on? We don't ever see Joseph question, but you just got to wonder what's going through his mind. And, and Joseph is, I mean, he's got to be struggling at this point, but what does he do? He still, he does what is pleasing in God's sight. And the scripture tells us that the Lord was with him. You know, and we have the benefit when we read the story of Joseph, we know how it all turns out. So I don't think we often, we don't, a lot of times we don't think about the difficulty that Joseph is enduring because we know the end. But, you know, if you think about your own story, you don't know how it's all going to turn out. You can't see what's coming. You can't see how God's working in the bigger picture. But when you look back at Joseph and you remember, he didn't always, he didn't know what was coming either. But he remained faithful and he did what was right in order that God might bring him to a position where he might save all of Israel as the second in command over Egypt. He, he, he saved the whole of Israel because he fed his father and his sons and their families and he brought them into the land of Egypt during a time of famine and, and, he, and he preserved them. Not only the whole family of Israel, but in particular, he preserved Judah. And Judah was of a particular importance because it was through Judah that the Messiah would come. You see, God knows so much better than we do what he needs to do to accomplish his purposes. And what he's doing is so much greater than the immediacy of our circumstances. We can't always fathom it. We can't always understand it. We can't always appreciate it. 
But somewhere along the line, we can understand this reality that it is better to suffer according to God's will, knowing that he has a plan, knowing that he has a purpose, knowing that he is working it together for good. As, as Joseph gets to the, or Joseph, after his family comes, his father's passed away and his brothers come to him, Joseph is able to say when he finally understands it all, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he finally understands what God's been doing. He says, tells his brothers, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. You see, and Joseph, even at that point, Joseph only knew in part. He's, he saw looking, he had the, the power of hindsight, and he looked back and see what God was doing. And now we, so many years later, 4,000 years later, now we see not only was he preserving Israel and Jacob, but Judah and the line of the Messiah and the seed, the seed that would come, the seed of the woman that would come through that line, who would be Christ. You know, when we're suffering for no apparent wrongdoing, we can be sure. We can be sure that God is at work. Suffering according to God's will means it didn't take God by surprise. That should be a comforting thought. Whatever you're dealing with, it didn't take God by surprise. He knew it from the beginning. I think that single truth has brought me more comfort in some of the darkest moments of my life than any other reality. Just knowing that God is in control. It not only serves as a comfort, but it helps us to know it's worth it. Whatever we're dealing with, as God is glorified through it, as God is working through it to, to work in our lives, it's worth it. So as we face difficult days, let us not give in to fear, but focus our hearts on Christ. To seek him and to know him better, that we might be able to articulate not only what we believe about him, but why we believe it in a manner that demonstrates humility before people and reverence towards God, trusting him every moment of every day to accomplish his perfect will for our lives. His will is always best, whether or not we understand what he's doing in the moment. God will glorify himself through us and to us as he conforms us into the very image of Christ. We can have confidence in the faith because we have confidence in Christ. Our faith is not in vain, but it is powerful for providing hope and courage in the darkest of moments. Let us pray together. Father, I'm so encouraged by your word. Lord, suffering is just a reality of our life that we all must deal with. But Lord, for those that know you and have experienced the grace of salvation and the forgiveness of sins, Lord, we have been given a hope of enduring. We have been given the strength and the promises of Scripture to know that you are working all things together for good to those that love you and are called according to your purpose, to know that you, Lord, 
are in control. And so, Lord, if you should will suffering for us, give us strength to endure. Help us to sanctify Christ in our hearts that that we might focus our attention on him and not on our circumstances, but understand that you, Lord, you are working these things out to accomplish your purposes and that whatever we endure is nothing compared to what Christ has endured for our sake. So, Lord, we bow to your will. We submit to your purposes. And we ask that you strengthen us to overcome and endure for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you to stand with me. And as you stand, just just bow your head and reflect on your own life and reflect on the the difficulties that you've had to endure, that you're encountering now, maybe something you've just overcome. If God's just led you through something, just take a moment and just praise him for his grace and his mercy. If, If you're in the midst of something right now, Ask the Spirit to examine your heart to find out if there's any, anything that you've done that you need to confess before the Lord. And just turn your heart over to Him and help Him and let Him guide you. And however the Lord may be speaking to your heart this morning, if, if He's just convicted you of your need for Him, just let Him know that. The altar's open. You can pray up here. I'll be down front if you'd like for me to pray with you. Jim's going to lead us in a song. Just take, just take a few moments just to reflect and then join us in song this morning.
so grateful for your love so grateful Lord for your forgiveness so grateful for the work that you accomplished for us at Calvary Lord let us not take it for granted let us not presume upon your mercy and grace but let us pursue righteousness let us live worthy of the gospel let us sanctify Christ in our hearts that you might be glorified in us and through us. Give us strength to endure and give us hope in the darkness and help us to persevere for the honor and glory of Jesus' name. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I ask you to be seated for just a moment. Got just a couple of announcements. I left my bulletin. Of course, your bulletin was chock full of stuff this morning. Um, And uh, so want to make sure that you look over all of that, but just a couple of things um, that are not in there, or maybe in there also, but um, opportunities to serve. We're always needing folks to serve in various capacities in the church. Our nursery especially um, is, is in need of some, some extra help, and um, we, want to, we, we need to be investing in our children, and especially in our young children, and uh, we, we need to just demonstrate a love towards those kids and to, to be able to bring them up and encourage them. So if you if you can serve in that capacity, I want to encourage you to see either um, uh, Diana, see Ian, um, see Maggie, um, also for uh, Children's Church. Uh, also always needing some help up in the in the sound booth. Uh, Mike Hale's um, up there. Uh, my son Andrew's helping out this morning. But our audiovisual team is always also needing um, some extra people to be able to fill in. And uh, safety team, uh, Don Rose is our uh, captain, and we're so thankful for him and what he's been doing for them. If you're interested in serving that capacity, just see him. And, of course, always could use some extra, some extra help up here. And uh, so if you're a gifted musician or singer, um, come see Brother Jim. I know he'd be glad to get you plugged in into that. Um, this next Friday night, we're going to be hosting a movie night. We're going to be watching the movie I Can Only Imagine. We'll be meeting down in the fellowship hall, which is where we're about to go for our fellowship uh, following the service. It is in the room directly beneath us. Um, the easiest way to get there is um, out to the lobby and to the door. To the, as you're going out this way, the door to the left goes straight down to the fellowship hall. Or if you go outside and you come around the side of the building, there's an awning you can come underneath and come straight into that hallway there, and the fellowship hall's on your left. And uh, so... Uh, Lunch, immediate following service, and a movie this coming Friday night, um, along with uh, uh, concessions, and a child care will be provided um, for that also. Um, if you know youth-aged kids uh, from grade 6 through 12 that uh, need a church home, get involved in a Bible study, we've got a growing group of kids here, and we're, uh, we're grateful for them, grateful for uh, Brother Ian leading them, and, and uh, they've been doing a lot of fun stuff lately, and... and uh, not just having fun, but also growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ through the Word of God on uh, Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. And uh, so if you know anybody that 
would like to get plugged in there, please um, see me, see Brother Ian, and uh, we'll help him get plugged in. We'll make contact with him. Um, I already mentioned the, the state missions offering. If you didn't get a chance to give today, you can, you can bring your offerings next week, um, but we'll be, be closing that offering out um, here pretty quick. Um, Thursday nights, we've been hosting a grief share um, to help people that have suffered the loss of a loved one. And, uh, and uh, so if you or someone you know um, you f- would benefit from, from just coming and just learning about how to, how to grieve the loss of a loved one, how to get through it, how to, how to just get through day by day, I would encourage you to come Thursday nights at 630. Um, the, come to the back parking lot, to the back awning, and there, you'll see the signs um, under the awning there for how to get there. So it's been, been good. And um, if you've already given out all your True Life cards, uh, we've got some more that you can get. These are ways that we're using to invite people to church, but also um, there's some information, the truelife.org information, which provides uh, free answers to uh, questions that people have about faith. And uh, so all of that's contained on those cards. If you are interested in those cards, there are some out here in the Connection Center on the table. And I don't know if there's any out, out there or not, but there are some out here, I know. So... If you'd like to get some more cards and you, and you can't find any, see me, and I'll make sure that you get some. And I think that's, that's it for our announcements for today. So we're going to be dismissed to lunch, but before we go, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us up here, and uh, when we go down, we'll be ready to serve. So, Father, we thank you so much for the time we've had together. We thank you, Lord, for the food that you've provided for us to partake of this afternoon. And, Lord, we just ask that you would bless our time of fellowship together, bless the food, Lord, to the nourishing of our bodies, and help us, Lord, in all things to give you thanks and to seek to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen.